The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. listening to Making Life Brighter on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, where we provide you with the latest information in natural healing, consciousness training, and all cutting-edge healing modalities, featuring experts in their field, including authors, musicians, and artists. Making Life Brighter is your forum for healing, inspiring, and uplifting entertainment. Here is your host, Winifred Adams. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio, and I'm your host, Winifred Adams, and today I promised you a very special show of the history of upstate New York and the Adirondacks, and I am beginning that show with the Seward Mansion here in Auburn, New York, and you may have seen the movie Lincoln, and that was involving William H. Seward, and we thought or were hoping that it would be filmed here, but in fact they filmed the movie in a different location, but William H. Seward is integral to our history as a country, and we're going to explore that a little bit today. So I am here at the Seward Mansion live with Allison, the director, and she is going to work with us to understand a little bit of the meaning of this history of William H. Seward. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here today. And I'm so excited that people are interested in knowing a little bit more about William Henry Seward. It's someone that here at the museum we're all obviously very fond of. And Seward was a New York State Senator, Governor of New York, a United States Senator, and then Secretary of State during the Lincoln and Johnson administration. So we have a tough job here at the Seward House to try to tell his story because his home base was here in Auburn, but he was living in Albany and Washington, D.C. throughout his political careers. And at the time in the day, which was 1800s, that's a very long haul to go place to place and, and have that kind of clout in our history. Right. He does do quite a bit of traveling. He also makes several trips abroad. Uh, he was quite the traveler, and so his family traveled with him sometimes, but his wife preferred to be here in Auburn, so she did not travel with him to Albany or very often to Washington, D.C. She much preferred to spend her time here, and we believe Francis is just as important in the Seward story as Seward is himself. That's interesting, and what is it that brought his family here to Auburn initially? So this home actually belonged to Seward's father-in-law, Judge Elijah Miller. It was built in 1816, so we are in fact celebrating 200 years of history this year. And Seward's wife, Frances, and her sister, Lizette, grew up here with Judge Miller. And it's through, sister, it's through Seward's sister, Cornelia, that Frances is first introduced to Seward. The two girls went to school at the Troy Female Seminary together, founded by Emma Willard. And Francis takes a trip to Seward's family home in Florida, New York, and that's where he's first introduced to Francis. After he's graduated from law school, he's passed the bar, he's looking for a firm to come and work for, and Judge Miller's firm 
happened to have an opening and so he moved to Auburn in 1823 and in 1824 he asked permission to marry Francis. Judge Miller agrees to the marriage but he has one condition which is that once Seward and Francis are married they have to live here in this home with him. So that's how Seward ends up in Auburn. Well that's not a bad deal because this is a beautiful mansion and the grounds are still preserved today and we're sitting in what used to be some of the servants quarters is that correct? Correct. And there's an original shower behind us here as we as we record this <laughs> with a bathtub to the left in one of the first ever showers in in that time frame. Yeah. And so the the nice thing about this house is so much of it was preserved and we have a lot of space. This house was uh, originally only consisted of 10 rooms. Seward makes a series of expansions which which um, now has the house at about 30 rooms. Um, he extends the servants' quarters. He he expands space for family. Uh, he and Francis raise five children here, and then one of his children raises their children here. So we're really lucky that the family lived here until 1951, and then they donate the home to a local foundation to be set up as a museum to honor Seward and his son, Will Jr. Now, let's talk a little bit about why Seward was so important in our history. What did he do for the United States of America? So we like to look at Seward as one of the men that really shaped our nation to how we know it today. He's involved in a lot of very forward-thinking movements. Um, he is a supporter of women's rights. He also is involved in the abolition movement. The Underground Railroad actually had a stop here at this house. His wife Frances doing a lot of that work, Seward being in Washington, D.C., at that time as a United States Senator, and he's a member of Lincoln's cabinet. He's involved in the writing of the Emancipation Proclamation. He's involved in all, a lot of the major decisions that are being made in Washington, D.C. at that time. So he really helped shape our nation to how we know it today. And he was also involved in the purchase of Alaska as well, and people thought that was crazy at the time, right? Right. It's often referred to as Seward's Folly or Seward's Icebox, and that will actually be what we're celebrating next year because it will be the sesquicentennial of the Alaska, signing of the Alaska Treaty, which took place in 1867. And what did that do at the time for, because we weren't developed as a country that far west really at that point, right? Right. So Seward is a big supporter of Manifest Destiny, so he was really looking to expand west. He believes at one point the United States will cover all of the North American continent. He sees Alaska as the first piece to that. And he does eventually make a visit there in 1869. He spent quite a bit of time there. He was given quite a few gifts and he really did think that it would be a valuable piece of land for the United States and it ends up being so when they find gold and then of course oil. Now how did he ever come to figure that out? That's a you know the opposite tip to this landmass and at that time it's not like you can hop up and hop on an airplane and just go there. You have to take the train if it goes there. <laughs> How right. do you get there? By ship? Right. And so he was approached by Edward de Stockel, who was the Russian ambassador at the time because Russia owned it. It was at that time known as Russian America. And there were a couple other countries that were interested in the purchase, but they had worked very closely with Seward. 
and he when he does travel there he takes the transcontinental railroad across to california he then takes a steamship up to alaska so it wasn't an easy trip to get there by any means but he really did enjoy his time there do you know how long that trip took in the day i'm not it took at least a week for him to get there if not more um, travel was much slower than it is today uh, but is, is there history of him speaking about the Indians and, and the natives there at that time? He does speak there, and he's he meets with a number of the tribes in the area, and that's where he's given a lot of his gifts. But what he didn't know, for as well-traveled as he was, there was still a lot about the world and customs of different groups of people that we weren't aware of, he wasn't aware of. And so when they gave him all of these gifts and invited him there what he didn't realize is that he also needed to reciprocate and host a gathering and give them back some of their gifts um, as well as some treasures of his own and so when he left they were a little unhappy with him and there is a totem pole there <laughs> that's short and it is some it's referred to as a totem pole of shame but it is in alaska today you can visit that <laughs> Well, how do you know unless you know, right? Right. I mean, you don't know. And so he went ahead and he rallied for the purchase of this, mm -hmm. of this. well, it was someone else's land at that right. time. Right. So he basically had to buy it from them. Yep. And Purchased it for $7.2 million, which at that time was only two cents an acre. So I think that was a pretty good deal. Yeah, I think that he, he definitely won on that one. Now, as we look at the actual... Um, history of him here. What did he do for the central New York area that was instrumental? Seward does a lot for New York State. He was involved in prison reform, making sure that there was educational opportunities for inmates, making sure that they were being fed properly. Uh, but he also is very interested in the education of New York State as a whole. And so one of the things that he was involved in was the school district library book set. He selected a number of topics. It's kind of like an encyclopedia today, but wanted to make sure that every school district in New York had a set of these books so that all children had the same opportunities. And we actually have a set of those books on display in our drawing room. There's about 200 books total in that collection. And the local library, is that... I don't so, know if there are any in the local library here, um, but we do have a copy right now, here in the drawing room. We have to ask the question, did he, since he had servants and all that, did he have slaves? This was, this was the main street, South Street in Auburn, which at the end, other end of this street is the Tubman House. And Harriet Tubman, if you don't know, was you know, the person that spearheaded the Underground Railroad. And so this area was sort of a safe place upon you know, completion of journey via maybe even Boston, that area, and coming back down. What do you know about the history of, of his servants, and did he cover for people? Did he bring them here? What did he do? So Seward was born and raised in Florida, New York. His family did have slaves, but slavery was abolished in New York State in the late 1820s. And Seward did grow up believing that it was morally wrong. Um, Judge Miller and his family, they were raised Quakers so that they believed all men and women were created equal and should be equal. So they believe that slavery is again wrong. Francis is really the ardent abolitionist in the family, but Seward is involved in this as well. And as I mentioned before, this house was a stop on the Underground Railroad, 
We know through a couple letters that we have at least three fugitive slaves that were harbored in this home. Um, France is doing a majority of that work. The family did have servants. Nicholas and Harriet Bogart are the two most notable servants, and they assisted Francis with the Underground Railroad operation here at this home. And you mentioned Harriet Tubman. Her house is right down the street. Seward actually sold her that land and is one of the reasons why she stayed in Auburn for over 50 years. And Seward actually wanted to give her the land, but Harriet insisted on making payments. And she made payments after, even after Seward had passed away in 1872. And it's his son, William Jr., that finally tells her that she has made enough payments and the land is officially hers. That's amazing. What a beautiful story. And now she will be the face front to the $20 bill coming up. And right. This is a very rich history on this street, really. And quite a bit's happened out of Auburn, New York over time. And Seward has been, you know, over over my lifetime growing up here and just up the street in between these two, it's just been a staple to what you knew. But people don't really understand the importance of what he did because it established history for the future. Right. And I do think to a certain extent, this family, as uh, they continue to live here, we refer to them as pack rats here because they've saved everything. Our collection is almost completely original. All of the things in this house being used are owned by the Seward family. And so we feel that they had an understanding that they were going to be important in history. They understood that some of these things that Seward or Francis were involved in were significant. They're definitely visionaries of their time. And really, he kind of put his neck out and so did his wife, because at the time, any of those things could have been turned in another direction had people really found out what they were doing on the side with the slaves. And all right. That. It's not safe for them to be doing that, and it is a risk, though Seward made several speeches saying that he was not in favor of slavery. Um, he, in one, quotes, there is a higher law than the Constitution, um, meaning that those people will be judged for their actions, not just by the government, but in the end by God. Uh, and so he is very outspoken and that's actually one of the reasons why he loses the Republican nomination for the 1860 election and Abraham Lincoln is the Republican nominee. Seward was assumed to be that the next president of the United States. They were ready to have a celebration here in Auburn for him. The town had rolled cannons out. There were people out in the gardens ready to celebrate and then he gets word that he will not be the nominee and that that will in fact be Abraham Lincoln. Uh, and so Seward does throw his support behind Lincoln and ends up becoming his Secretary of State and the two of them work very closely over the years together. Maybe that was in his favor for his highest good at the end, really. We'll be right back. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio and we're here live at the Seward Mansion in Auburn, New York. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want to make a difference in the world? Join Making Life Brighter Radio to help create a free roam sanctuary for elephants in South America. 
Finally, there's a working solution for elephants on our planet. People often say they don't know what to do to help animals that are in danger. But now you can team up with Making Life Brighter Radio and your host, Winifred Adams, to give elephants from Brazil and Argentina the freedom to roam in a wild sanctuary in a remote area of Brazil. Free to socialize, heal, and live the life they were always meant to live. Your contribution will build the fences and the elephant care center for the massive free roam sanctuary and set these sacred animals free. Donate today and mention you heard it on Making Life Brighter Radio. Listen to the amazing series live from Brazil where Winifred speaks to CEO and board president of the Global Sanctuary for Elephants. To donate and for more information, log on to globalelephants.org. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Welcome back to Making Life Brighter with Winifred Adams on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, the preferred choice for conscious education and entertainment. For more information, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. If you have questions or comments, please email us at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. That's radio at makinglifebrighter.com. And now, back to the show with your host, Winifred Adams. And we're back. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio, and I'm your host, Winifred Adams. We are live today in Auburn, New York, at the Seward Mansion. And William H. Seward was known for many, many things in our history, which we've been talking about in the first segment. And I'm here today with Allison Hinman, who is the Director of Development Development here at the Seward House. And she is rich with history in this, and we are having so much fun because... This house has really been well-preserved as a museum, and people come from far and wide to see the history of this museum and, and what he contributed to our history. So of all the people that have come through here, what's the farthest you know, journey they've taken to get to here that you, you've met or you've seen in your books? We've had a number of visitors from this house. Um, we, The Seward family hosted people internationally. The Chinese embassy visited here in 1866, and the family was actually completing the second half of their dining room and drawing room. That, restor- that renovation was completed just in time for the embassy to visit. And at that dinner table, not only did you have the Chinese embassy visiting, but you also had Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony sitting at that table. And Susan B. Anthony, I'll just note, is my great, 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 great cousin. And uh, we have letters in our family written back and forth to the president even at that time. And that's really exciting. This whole town is just rich with history. And so when those people came, what was the purpose of that? I'm sure you, you have that on record. So Seward was known for his entertaining. He really makes dining and diplomacy an art form. It's something that he excelled at as governor, as a United States senator, and then especially as secretary of state. His dinner parties were legendary. Um, Dinners could last anywhere from four to six hours. There'd be anywhere from 10 to 12 different courses served at dinner. And there would be people from all over the world sitting at his table, people from the north and south, 
sitting there and it was a place of discussion of um, ideas of the day and different movements that are taking place, but also that's where Seward did some of his work as Secretary of State. A lot of important decisions were made at the dining room table. And you say, you told me that his wife was not keen on on entertaining so much. (laughs) She's not. Frances really has no interest in being a politician's wife. She loves it when her husband is here in Auburn, but doesn't necessarily care to entertain the Uh, other politicians' wives or the politicians themselves. That's just not something that she's interested in. Her daughter-in-law, Anna, takes on those responsibilities in Washington, D.C., and her sister, Lizette, also helped with that. Uh, And Frances did, the house was altered quite a bit. This was her childhood home growing up here. The kitchen and the dining room were originally in the basement, but as Seward continues to rise, in politics, he's required to do more entertaining, and so the first addition he makes to the house is moving the dining room and the kitchen upstairs in 1848, and then he makes those additions in 1866 to expand those spaces. So though she's here during some of the entertaining, it's not something that she's as interested in. And what's a neat tidbit about the two of them as a couple? Frances was one of her husband's biggest supporters, but she was probably one of the people that was hardest on him. If she didn't think that one of his speeches spoke enough to the abolition movement, she would call him out on it. And she <laughs> she was tough. She held him accountable for things. Uh, and they they had a very, I think, interesting relationship. Um, she always wanted him to spend more time at home and be here more in Auburn. And he always said oh, as I get older, I'll be spending more time here. Well, as he got older, he got more involved in politics and was away from home more. Uh, She would go visit him in Washington, D.C., but never for long periods of time. And the children really did a great job of splitting their time between Washington, D.C. and spending time here in Auburn. And Seward and Francis wrote countless letters back and forth to one another, so they were always staying in touch. Were they a happy family? I would say that this was a happy family. Um, They raised five children together. Uh, Four of them make it to adulthood. One child, um, they lose to smallpox. Uh, But the children were well-educated, and one of the things that both Seward and Francis did, especially with their youngest child, their daughter Fanny, they encouraged her to learn subjects that typically were only taught to boys. Francis had that unusual education being taught math and science. Fanny was encouraged to write, and that was something women were not encouraged to do at that time. And this family, though Fanny was never published, she was too shy to um, give her plays or her stories to anybody outside of the family, really encouraged her to do that. And now, you said that there had been presidents that came to this house as well. And so they were obviously immersed in culture and popular culture in the day. And what presidents visited this particular house. So John Quincy Adams was one of the first presidents to visit this house. He didn't visit as president. He had um, he had served his time at that point and Francis was unaware that he was coming to visit. Seward and Judge Miller had traveled to Canandaigua and it was it was a very hot day in this house so she really wasn't dressed to receive visitors. She was in a light gingham gown and she saw a parade of people coming down the street her husband the (laughs) former president and her father and she 
had to rush around to light um, some of the lamps downstairs and she wasn't dressed to receive him. And she said as the uh, crowd of people was coming down the street, her gardens were being absolutely destroyed. The gardens at the Seward House were one of her favorite places to spend her time. And so she's watching as a thousand people come down the way and they're trampling all of her bushes and shrubs that are out there and so I can't imagine she was very happy with her husband and father for leaving out the fact that they would be entertaining the former president. (laughs) Who else has visited this house that was important in our history? Uh, Ulysses S. Grant and uh, President Johnson And then we also had Van Buren, McKinley, and then most recently Bill Clinton has visited this home. Oh, when did, oh yes, Bill came in a tour a few. Yes, and Hillary's been here twice. Um, They used to stay in Skinny Atlas, so when they were there, they would stop and visit the local sites. That's amazing. So now we're going to move up to the tower tower room. Is that what this is? This is unbelievable. This room is not seen by visitors, and They have the original wallpaper and even the original Louis Vuitton traveling trunks of the Sewards in the day. If anyone's a Louis Vuitton collector, holy cow, these are are the ones that began the whole trend. This is a beautiful room. It overlooks the gardens, and there's still some sculpture in here. There's old books in the... The backs of the books are coming off, the wallpaper is peeling off the wall, and it looks like the ceiling's even coming down a little bit, but this is a neat, neat old room. So what is this room exactly? So this was a bedroom at one point and was used by Seward's grandson, William III, when he was studying for school. And this was a space that he thought was quietest and easiest for him to get some of his work done. We really love this space. We say it's got the best view of the gardens and of some of the sites in Auburn. And we've used this space for for special events. We are really hoping at some point that we could restore this, but it is a really cool space and the Sewards love to travel. And so there are quite a few trunks that are stored in here as well as some other furniture. This is really like stepping back in time and seeing this and feeling it. The energy in here is also very interesting, especially with the trunks because they've been put all over and you can see how they've been actually taken about and they have dents in them and and the old writing on them and it's just, it's history sitting right here. So now you speak of uh, this family in present time as though they're still here living. How is... How do you approach that when people come for tours? We really like to feel like history is alive here. We love to present visitors with the idea that the Seward family has really just stepped out for the day. And we like to tell them that the rooms are set up based on how the family actually lived in them. We've used photographs to help determine where certain things were throughout the house in certain periods. And so that's always fun for us when we're looking to interpret spaces. What are we going to interpret in that room? What time period is most significant? What was here? And so that's a lot of fun for our educator and our director of collections to do every year. What's going to be the theme? So this year our theme is 200 years of history. So we've picked certain photographs that show the house at different stages. And then next year, our theme will be all things Alaska. And so we'll have a lot of Alaskan artifacts on display. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, tell us a little bit about um, Seward's impact 
on acquiring Alaska for us? Like what, what has that done and what do you say about that from this standpoint? So I think it definitely helped the economy for the United States, um, especially with them finding oil and that being a main driver of the economy today. And he really did travel all over the world. He's probably one of the best traveled men of the 19th century. And if you visit the home, you'll see items that he picked up from around the world. And we have a lot of stories that go along with those things. And he kept, uh, he wrote down his travels. He, What's one of the most books. unique items that he brought back? We have water from the River Jordan. That was in a, a canteen that he brought back. There's a lot of small sculptures that would have been of statues from the time period. I know some of our staff's favorite pieces are we have a um, clay head from a ruin from Pompeii. Um, so some of those are favorites of ours. There's a Buddha from Burma that is one of our staff members favorite, actually our director's favorite piece in the house. And there was an alcove built just for that. And so we really are lucky that he has so many things from around the world in this house. And his son, Will Jr. also did some traveling and brought things back into this home as well. Have the descendants come back? Do they come and visit? There are still descendants here in Auburn and we've been very lucky uh, that this family left so much here. And, and they are allowing it to be seen the way it was. And right. It's so extraordinary. Really, this is exquisite. And the gardens are exquisite right in the center of the city. It's, it was centrally located to the city and the town itself. And back in the day, there were train tracks that brought all the things coming and going. And this was a manufacturing town it in, was. at the time. Yep. So a lot of that industry has left, um, but there's still a lot going on in Auburn. There's been a significant revitalization of the downtown area. And the Seward House has the largest green space in downtown Auburn. And we love it when the community comes and uses that space. It's much smaller than what the Sewards own. They originally had a four acre plot of land. Uh, we now have about two and a half, but we really love our gardens. We've actually had a cultural landscape report done recently. We're hoping to bring back some of the um, trees and things like that that the Seward family had there during the Victorian era. So they had a lot of fruit trees, so we'd love to get those there. We also have our kitchen garden, which the community is welcome to come pick from. It's one of our favorite things that we do over the summer. Do you grow organic? We do. We have all of our um, plants that are there and our, we have some really great volunteers that are very passionate about the garden space and really help us take care of all of that. And we'll be back. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio, live from Auburn, New York, at the William H. Seward Mansion. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want to make a difference in the world? Join Making Life Brighter Radio to help create a free roam sanctuary for elephants in South America. Finally, there's a working solution for elephants on our planet. People often say they don't know what to do to help animals that are in danger. But now you can team up with Making Life Brighter Radio and your host, Winifred Adams, to give elephants from Brazil and Argentina the freedom to roam in a wild sanctuary in a remote area of Brazil. 
free to socialize, heal, and live the life they were always meant to live. Your contribution will build the fences in the Elephant Care Center for the massive free roam sanctuary and set these sacred animals free. Donate today and mention you heard it on Making Life Brighter Radio. Listen to the amazing series live from Brazil, where Winifred speaks to CEO and board president of the Global Sanctuary for Elephants. To donate and for more information, log on to globalelephants.org. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Welcome back to Making Life Brighter with Winifred Adams on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, the preferred choice for conscious education and entertainment. For more information, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. If you have questions or comments, please email us at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. That's radio at makinglifebrighter.com. And now, back to the show with your host, Winifred Adams. And we're back. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio. You can find us on Facebook at Making Life Brighter, and you can always email us at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. I'm your host, and today we are live in upstate New York, in Auburn, New York, specifically at the Seward Mansion. And we are talking with Allison, who is taking us through the history of the Seward Mansion and why Seward was so important to the United States. And given that this is an election year, this is even more important because how history shapes us is evident after we look back upon it. And in this case, in particular, Seward was so influ- influential, both with Lincoln and for our country with Alaska, that we have all these neat tidbits that we're going through. And not only just sitting in this house and, and having this energy, but also learning the ins and outs of this family. Now, the movie Lincoln was not shot here, but the actor who starred in the movie came to visit. Is that correct? Right. David Strathairn did come here and do a little research about the man before he portrayed him and we feel that he did a really wonderful job with that. We were thrilled with how Seward came across in the Lincoln film. And what did he do when he came here? Did did he react to this in a way that was all it was all new to him or, or had he done some research ahead of time? He had done some research, but he came and went on a public tour. He was just like everybody else that was coming to visit and really enjoyed his time while he was here. What do most people say when they, after they've toured this house? What do they take away from this place? A lot of people are surprised to, one, know that our collection is almost completely original and that you are looking at the things that these people handled on a day-to-day basis. Uh, But they're also amazed with the stories that we're able to tell based on the writings and diaries and letters that this family saved. They're now at the University of Rochester, but it's really given us a great insight uh, into the personalities of these family members. And how did Seward get along with Lincoln and his family? 
So Seward and Lincoln initially weren't great friends, both of them being rivals, but a beautiful friendship does blossom. Seward's home in Washington, D.C. was almost right across the street from the White House, so Lincoln was a frequent visitor, and Seward being a frequent visitor to the White House. Uh, Mary Todd Lincoln was somewhat difficult. We actually have an excerpt from Fanny's diary where she mentions that her mother was actually in town, which was rare because Mrs. Seward really didn't like the busy life of Washington, D.C. She much preferred to be in Auburn. And as the wife of the Secretary of State, it's expected of her to go and call on the First Lady. And the whole family goes that's there, and they are told by... Um, the doorman that they he'll go see if Mrs. Lincoln can receive them, has them seated. They wait for quite a long time, and then he comes back out and says that Mrs. Lincoln is very much engaged and cannot receive them, and Fanny says the truth of Mrs. L's engagement was probably that she did not want to see Mother, else why not give general directions to the doorkeeper to let no one in? It was certainly very rude to have us all seated first. <laughs> See, even the Secretary of State gets snubbed by the First Lady. <laughs> well, not everybody would get along, but it's kind of odd that they wouldn't. Maybe she took, uh, he took her husband away from her too much, or maybe there was, you know, too much work. Right, to and <laughs> Seward was great friends with Lincoln, and Fanny actually gets to go and meet Lincoln on September 1st in 1861. And she thought he was going to be this really imposing figure, and she was nervous when she was going to meet the President of the United States. But she's shown into the library where Mr. Lincoln is sitting there with kittens that were given to him, and he says that they crawl all over him. And she really thought that that was a sweet moment, and he was a lot different than she thought he would be, uh, she being a pet lover as well. So he wasn't the imposing... Lincoln, the public figure, but rather the everyday man behind the scenes, too. Right. Very warm, kind, and friendly. So there was an assassination attempt on Seward, is that correct? There was. Most people don't know this, but the same night that Lincoln was shot at Ford's Theater in 1861, there was an attack on Seward at his home in Washington, D.C., this was part of Booth's conspiracy who assassinated President Lincoln, but most didn't know that there were a number of followers that were involved in this as well, and that Seward and Johnson and Grant were also supposed to be assassinated that night. And what history do you have on that here at the House? What What is it that showcases this attack? We have excerpts from Fanny's diary. She was actually in the room when it occurred. Seward had been in a carriage accident about a week before the attack, and he had broken his jaw his and his collarbone. Uh, we actually have the carriage the family used in Washington, D.C. on display off our gift shop. But the family also, Seward was slashed in the face and neck, and we do believe that it was the bandages um, and the support to his broken jaw that actually helped save his life. But we have a sheet with blood on it from the attack that was kept by the family, and that's on display. We also have a newspaper that shows that Seward was assassinated. The headlines of the papers the next day were Lincoln and Secretary Seward assassinated because the Seward family really wasn't telling anyone for fear of another attack. And Seward's devastated to learn that his good friend and the president has been assassinated. He wasn't able to attend Lincoln's funeral, but he was given flowers from Lincoln's casket, which have been dried and are in a frame. 
here. Here. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And so, did he then get transported back here? Was it safer to be here after that? And did he stay here? He remains in D.C. and goes back to work about six weeks later. His wife, Frances, does come down at this time, and she dies nine weeks after the attack. Um, they write that she suffered from several shocks, um, and it's actually Lincoln's funeral car that brings her back here um, to be buried. And the Seward family is buried at Fort Hill Cemetery, which... Uh, Harriet Tubman's buried there as well, and Martha Coffin Wright, one of the leaders of the uh, women's suffrage movement. So a lot of history here. There is a lot of history here, and that, for those of you that are unfamiliar, is just up the street. It's about two blocks, three blocks away from here. Now, this house is considered a mansion, and as you said, it has 30 rooms plus, or 30 plus. rooms. Wow, that, that, you know, that's quite a bit to clean. So there were servants here, and walk us through a typical day of what it was like in the day for these people. Right, so there were servants that lived here. There were others that traveled to the estate during the day. Of course, 30-plus rooms is a lot of upkeep, so you've got your groundskeeper, then you've got servants that would be in the home cleaning. You would have people cooking. Um, meals were prepared for the family. Candles were lit until gaslight was installed, and then in the 1920s, electricity was finally introduced to this home. Chamber pots had to be emptied until indoor plumbing was installed. The first bathroom was installed in the 1880s. So This was after... This Seward, was right? after Seward had passed away, so he doesn't live to see indoor plumbing. Um, showers are eventually added, but it was a lot of work here, and the servants were instrumental in keeping this house up and running and operating smoothly. And that's something that we do like to touch on when our visitors come here. We have a space in the start of the servants' quarters that talks about some of the notable servants that lived here. I mentioned Harriet and Nicholas Bogart earlier. Uh, they spent a lot of their time here their son grew up here and they you'd also be amazed by the call system that's in place that you you would push a button in a room and it would buzz and an arrow would flip up so servants would know what room they needed to go to and people are always amazed by the number of keys that were kept here and we have no idea how they kept them all straight but that is something that we like to highlight when people are going through the houses. This was a lot of work to keep an operation like this going. Can you imagine a castle, much less a mansion? <laughs> what did they eat typically, and how did they gain their their food? Because there probably wasn't great refrigeration or anything then either. Right, so there was still a small farm here. We have a lot of recipes that have been saved by family members with little notes saying, this is really great, but add more sugar or things like that. They wouldn't have been doing a lot of the preparation for themselves, but we do have dinner menus that were left behind. There would be fish that would be served, pork, a lot of the things that you would think of us eating today. The desserts... Um, would be a little different. You'd also have a lot of fruit and fresh vegetables. There would have been a vegetable garden here that would have been used. So they would go out and, and the servants or someone, would they go to market or would they actually send someone out to, say, go fishing at Owasco Lake or something like that? You know, that's a really good question. I don't actually know that. Um, there isn't much written down about the servants. Um, they do the family members do mention them in letters and speak very fondly of them, especially of Nicholas and Harriet. And one of the great things that we've also found is ledgers. So we know what expenses were to keep a house like this running for food and things like that. What was that typically in in the day? 
of something here. So Seward was expected in these political positions to host large gatherings and dinner parties. And so especially as governor of New York, he lived beyond his means on certain occasions. Well, this has really been extraordinary. And I just think that it's such a rich history. How do people find you? What's the website for this house? So you can find more information at www.sewardhouse.org. Um, We'd be happy to take phone calls with questions at 315-252-1283. And you can also follow us on Facebook at Seward House Museum. Now, people can have private events here, too. Is that correct? Yes. Private events are something that we would love to host. You have the option of the garden or even the home itself. And all of that information can be found on our website. Wow, so you all have to come and see this. This is amazing. It's a rich piece of history, and when you visit Auburn, you can see the Seward House, and you can also continue up the street on South Street and visit the Tubman House as well. This whole city is very historical, and actually many people that we know of in the world have originated from this city. There's quite a bit of people that have come from this area, and it was a major hub in the day and continues to be a... Um, a place where people come from that we somehow know in our world and popular culture. (laughs) Thank you, Allison. This has been a real treat. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. Now, I always ask everyone when I do these interviews one question, and this is for you. What makes your life brighter? Honestly, getting to come here to work every day makes me happy. I wake up happy knowing that I'm coming to such a great place like this. That's fun. That's inspiring. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back with more Making Life Brighter. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You voted show host Winifred Adams Writer of the Year for her Making Life Brighter Consciousness Columns, Entertainer of the Year two years running for her Making Life Brighter radio show, and Humanitarian of the Year for the third year running for her healing work and work at John of God. Medical intuitive and host of the Voice America Making Life Brighter radio show, Winifred Adams is your resource for wellness and consciousness training. A master healer for 20 years with a worldwide and celebrity clientele, Winifred uses her unique gifts to to help those in need with physical, spiritual, and emotional ailments or trauma. Individuals and families may book private sessions in person or via Skype worldwide. Go to MakingLifeBrighter.com for more information. Enjoy Winifred's monthly articles with upwards of 30,000 fans. To buy music and subscribe to her Voice America radio show, visit iTunes worldwide. Follow along on Facebook at Making Life Brighter for her latest humanitarian effort to help move elephants in South America to a free roam sanctuary. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America. 
Welcome back to Making Life Brighter with Winifred Adams on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, the preferred choice for conscious education and entertainment. For more information, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. If you have questions or comments, please email us at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. That's radio at makinglifebrighter.com. And now, back to the show with your host, Winifred Adams. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio, and I'm Winifred Adams. This has been an amazing show. What an inspiring day today has been. I am so glad I've come to do this. I can't even tell you, and it's not just because it's my hometown. It's because it's just been really, really spine-tinglingly inspiring. (laughs) Seeing the Seward House in a new light and being walked through that was just astounding. The rich history that sits here is beyond me. I also went to the Harriet Tubman House and uh, just had chills from head to toe. And each time during the interview... Uh, today, earlier, I just had chills over and over again. It was so amazing. I could just feel the aura of these people around me. It was so, so exciting. So this is a beautiful place, and I'll be sharing more with you coming up in the next few shows. I have quite a bit to expand upon around this area. Did you hear about <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal on the Adirondack train? <laughs> Yes, well, he got stuck in the middle of nowhere when the train went off the tracks, apparently, and uh, that was some kind of interesting filming they had there. But there's much more to come, and I am excited to share some of this very big history that people really don't know about, and it's rich around this area. So if you'd like to go back and listen to any of the shows that we've done so far, You can check out the archives at makinglifebrighter.com on the radio tab. Uh, One of our number one shows has been The Woman in Gold, of all things. On a health and wellness channel, The Woman in Gold is one of the most inspiring stories that we've talked about so far. It's, It's really neat. So this is part of the reason I want to share this history with you is because those of you out there in all of the many countries that are listening, thank you very much. This is one of the things about America that makes Americans in the positive who they are. Um, America is founded on people who are visionaries, innovators, took what didn't work and tried something else. Somewhere along the way, it seems to me that we've become stressed as a nation and maybe even in some cases a little bit perverted by how much is accessible um, and how much we have. And perhaps even those of us in Europe looking at the United States are thinking that we take for granted the things that we have, and perhaps we do. But I'd like to speak to the Americans in this country that, and for the Americans in this country that work hard. And I can say that I'm one of them. And I see people create and make the American dream out of nothing. I've met many people in L.A., who have come from countries like Israel, um, Iran, from having much and starting all over again. And the one thing that people say to me over and over again is that this is the greatest country in the world. Well, I think wherever you live might be the greatest country in the world because it's what you make of it and how you make that in the moment. 
but we have really come through quite a shift in our young years as the U.S., and coming up on an election year, we have quite a bit to look at as well. But I really want to focus on some of the history in this area because it's interesting history, and there was purpose to it. In our day of throw away things and replace it when you need to at the drop of a hat, that's not what was the history in this area originally. There was purpose and pride in the work that was taken for the purpose. I think that's the part that maybe we're missing is the pride behind the work. And what struck me so profoundly today is Allison saying that what made her life brighter was really her getting up to know that she's coming to work at the museum. That speaks volumes. We have so many young people that are so apathetic and take no pride in just showing up to be a human being and be happy, even if it's for someone else. They bemoan everything they have to do, and and yet there are a number of young people that are also becoming visionaries and innovators at an age that we could have never dreamed of doing such a thing previously. But because they have the internet at their fingertips and because they're curious and because they're driven from their heart and their spirit and, and in tune with that, they can create just like the American dream that we had once before. And this is something that I really want to speak to because the people that forged ahead for us today really dedicated something special and we have an opportunity to use that. I was in the Harriet Tubman house, I was looking around, I was in the basement of the Seward house seeing where the slaves were taken in the Underground Railroad. That's profound. That is really profound. And additionally, you know, all the different people that worked hard to build our railroads to forge our future. And we have an opportunity, and I hope to be a part of that for you, with you, on behalf of you, as we lay down a new foundation to an even greater world by each one of us growing. And that's my dream one day, that everybody has that sort of connection moment, that aha moment from their spirit that guides them to grow, and that they take that and work with it. I really enjoyed doing the Retune Your Focus series of meditation recently, and I will have that available to you for purchase coming soon, and I hope that you enjoy that. I know the people that were doing it benefited, and they said that they loved it, and it was working for them, so I'm excited. That's, that's really, really neat, because we're going to take that further as we go ahead, and I am hoping that you will check out the new website we've been working on. So you can go to makinglifebrighter.com and see our new face front. You can check it out on Facebook and I will drop more videos and pictures coming up about the Seward House and you can see some of the things that visitors see when they go there about the uniqueness of this history. And I didn't show it all to you, but I showed you some of it. So you'll have to show up and see the rest of it for yourself. <laughs> But the Harriet Tubman property is something upcoming, and wow, that's a humbling, humbling experience. That woman should be a saint. She was incredible. And people don't know that she was one of the first women to lead men in, in 
battle. Just incredible. I, I've, I've learned a lot from both sides of the street today that I had no idea about for all those years. And that goes to show a little bit of our American uh, ignorance. And I'm guilty too because I didn't know that much either side of the house that I grew up on. And so I'd love to share more of that with you, and we will. I'll bring to you more of Central New York and the Adirondacks and all the amazing history that happened up there, and the Adirondacks are just unbelievable. So I'm excited. I'm excited to share that with you. And you stay tuned. We'll be back. We'll have more next week. I hope you all go jolly or go jollier and go make someone else's life brighter. Shed a smile. You can do it. Come on. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio. Thank you for listening to Making Life Brighter on the Health and Wellness Channel. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 10 a.m. for information, inspiration, and education with leading experts in healing and consciousness. For more information and a complete show schedule, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. Making Life Brighter, successfully helping you feel better from the inside out. Go Jolly! Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.